Slate's Negotiation Academy is brought to you by FedEx. FedEx does more than shipping. They offer businesses a range of valuable solutions. Explore the solutions at fedex.com slash solutions that matter. Hi, I'm Seth Stevenson. And I'm Jill Barche. Welcome to Episode 8 of Slate's Negotiation Academy. As you may recall, in Episode 7, we talked about women at the negotiating table. Now we're going to talk about real estate, how to negotiate buying or selling a home. So, Jill, let's buy a house. I have my eye on this beautiful Victorian. It's got wainscoting, crown moldings, wide plank floors. It's gorgeous. Seth, we live in Brooklyn. No, I hate brownstones, Jill. It's all played out. It's all about Victorians now. So let's get this one. I've got, let's make a bid. I have my eye on this one. So have you looked at any other houses yet? No, Jill, this is the house. This is the one. I don't need to look at other houses. I talked with my friend, Melissa Chen, who's been a real estate agent in Washington, D.C. for six years. She says we have to waste our weekends looking at open houses first. Definitely. When we're going to go out and look for a house that they want to buy, we look at a lot of them. And the purpose of that is, one, to educate the buyer, but also to give us some ammunition so that when we are trying to write an offer, we have other houses that we can point to that are active on the market that are better than theirs that we can point to when we're presenting our offer to convince the seller that you know a lower price actually makes sense here. And it could be anything from the condition of the house on the inside, the placement of the house on the street, maybe it's on a busy street, or its size, maybe it's smaller than another home that's listed for the same price. So we definitely try all sorts of I guess, angles on trying to convince the seller that they should take a lower price. So what that ammunition lets you do is trash the house you love. It's a bit counterintuitive, but the whole point is that you're trying to get the lowest price possible when you're the buyer. So if you can trash this house that you want to buy... But, I, not... but Jill, I don't want to trash this Victorian. It's gorgeous. Everything's nego- right about it. Seth, we're negotiating. Fine. Stay with me. So when you submit your bid to the seller, you persuade them why they should sell it to you for such a low price by using all the information you gathered by all these going to all these weekend open houses. Say, for example, you saw a house on a quiet street that's listing for about the same price. You can say, hey, this house is on a noisy street. That's why we're bidding a little bit lower. Or maybe the kitchen at the house you want to bid on hasn't been renovated. So you can say, oh, we saw this other house with this gorgeous renovated kitchen, acres of granite, and it's asking the same price you're asking. Right. And you can actually be concrete and say, hey, we saw a house at 312 Elm Street that was a lot bigger going for the same price. This is smaller. You're asking too much per square foot. These days, most real estate negotiations will take place by email. So your agent will be typing up this list of specific faults as you volley the emails back and forth. Now, when does the negotiation begin for the buyer? It's when he submits the written offer. And you need to pick a number that will get the seller interested in negotiating. That's your only goal right now. So Melissa's rule of thumb is to double the discount. So if houses in the neighborhood you're looking at are typically going for 5% below their listing price, then you should offer 10% below the listing price. Or even a little bit lower if you're feeling aggressive. The danger if you pick a number too low is that the seller will just ignore you and there's no negotiation at all. Right. And so you you, you want to just get them enticed. It does, it's not the number that you're going to end up at. And you can talk with your agent about calculating the average discount in your neighborhood. Sometimes that final sales price they state is concealing some 
kickbacks, and the actual final price was lower than that. So everything we're talking about right now is based on the depressed real estate market that we've been living in for the past few years. If real estate suddenly booms again or we enter another real estate bubble, everything will flip. Instead of negotiating discounts, you're negotiating premiums above the list price. Now, after you agree on a sale price, Melissa says it still isn't over. Every term in the offer that you're writing is a negotiation. The negotiation doesn't end when you have agreement on the price because there is still a home inspection that happens afterwards where repairs will come up and there is more negotiating to be had for the buyer. And I would say even when the market maybe is more a seller's market, you still negotiate. For your buyer, you still negotiate for the terms that you want. I'm still angry years later about phase two of one of my home sales. I was selling a condo in D.C. actually when the real estate market was doing really well in 2005. And after we totally negotiated the sales price and I thought we were done, after the inspection, the buyer got me for another $4,000. She did some research and called the head of the condo association and found out the building was planning some big renovation. And she was guessing that there might be cost overruns with the renovation. And so I didn't want to put the house back on the market again. And so she got me for another $4,000. Jill, you fell victim to agreement bias. You just wanted to close the deal. Exactly. Now, what if you're the seller? Of course, you want to make your house look nice and you want to do some painting and make it pretty so that when people come to your house, they'll think, oh, what a nice house. But the most important decision you'll be making is setting your list price. It sets the bar for the whole negotiation. So counterintuitively, as the seller, the first thing you want to do is go shopping. Pretend you're a buyer. Look at what's on the market right now, what's been on the market for the past six months in your neighborhood. My friend Melissa holds realtor parties. She brings 15 agents to your house and has them shout out what price they would list it for. So at the end of all this, you have all these prices from the current open houses out on the market to the last six months of closings to the realtor shout outs. And you have this whole range of prices that you might list your house at. And the danger if you make your list price too high is that you're not going to get any foot traffic at all. You're just not going to get any nibbles to work with. Or no bids. I mean, you may be People will come, but they'll think this is such a high price, they won't bother to write a written offer. And of course, if you list the house too low, now you're not giving yourself any room to negotiate, and you might end up with a sales price that's lower than you want it to be. So Melissa suggests picking a price that's near the top of this range of prices you've just listed, but not the tippy top. As long as there are few houses that are like yours, but listing higher, your house will seem like a bargain. You're trying to get into the psychology of the buyer, and the buyers want to feel like they're getting a good value, that they're bidding on something that might be a bargain. Now, whether you're selling or buying, there aren't going to be many negotiations in life that are more emotional than one over a home. My friend Melissa has some perspective on this. She used to be a biotech executive, and she negotiated deals all the time, but nothing like real estate. It's hard to sort of separate the emotional feelings you have about your house and to look at the numbers in a really hard and sort of real way without assigning how much you love your house as a seller and how much you want someone to love your house too versus what the market right now is willing to pay for your house. Yeah, it's hard. So, you know, when I sold my own house, I hired a realtor. <laughs> so even agents use agents, and there are good reasons for using an agent in a negotiation. 
For one, it helps separate you from those emotions. You've got someone who's going to sort of act as a buffer between your passions for this house and for closing the deal. Why is it bad to be emotional during a negotiation? Because, for one thing, that's going to hinder negotiations. You need to keep a friendly, even-tempered tone in order to have the negotiation go smoothly. The other thing is, you know, you might not be realistic about what your house is really going to sell for, and you might not be willing to accept a fair bid if you think your house is just worth more because it's so great it's your house. Right. You have to acknowledge the reality of the market. Now, the other thing an agent can do for you is they have special expertise. They really know this market, and they know how the game is played. My friend Sam Defran is an agent, and he recently got named one of Time Out New York's top 10 New York City real estate agents. He says there are some tricks of the trade. There are a, a number of kind of uh, psychological ways you might be able to gain the upper hand. Well, one of them is the schmooze. If you can open up your counterpart, make them relaxed, and allow them to give you information, you, you gain immediate power. Uh, the more information you know about your opposing uh, group, the you know the better off you're going to be in that negotiation. There's also another way to do things, which is to essentially visualize you've done them before you've actually done them. So if your grammar and the way you speak already assumes that you've got what you want, you may end up with it quicker than if you go into it being reticent and hesitant about it. If that makes any sense, you know, it's like a, a before a golfer hits the ball, he knows where it's going to land. A good golfer. So let's say I'm an opposing agent and we're negotiating over a, over a condo. To give me an example of how you would talk to me in, in that assumptive way. I might be like, well, you know, we're going to get this deal done at X point, And, you know, I just need you to make that happen, you know, and then I'll be able to gauge right then if that's right or wrong. It's kind of, you can cut to the chase if you already assume that the price that you want is doable. And then, you know, a lot of times they'll, because of the kind of hypnotic tone that you're bringing to them, which is sort of the assumption clause, they may just blurt out, oh, yeah, okay, sure. Well, that works for my guy too. And then all of a sudden you have a deal, you know, so, so you, you've kind of put yourself in the, in the driver's seat without them even knowing. With very experienced agents, they know what you're doing and they'll just play it right back to you. But, you know, the thing about New York City is it doesn't take much to be an agent here. It takes 500 bucks and a couple weeks of your time. So you have a massive group of people that don't really know how to speak, how to negotiate, or how to deal with people in general. So as long as you've got one of these good agents who actually know what they're doing, you know, these guys negotiate for a living and they might be better at it than you are. It's worth paying them to negotiate for you if they're going to do a better job than you would do yourself. The other thing you can do with an agent is play a little good cop, bad cop. So let's say you're uncomfortable being tough in a negotiation. Well, you can let your agent be your attack dog and you get to look like the nice guy. Oh, sorry, that's just my agent. That's how he works. But but aren't negotiators supposed to be friendly? Well, it could work the other way around, too. Your agent could be very friendly with the seller's agent and very accommodating, but say, but you know what? My buyer, he's just, he's just, he's tough. He's not going to go past this. That's how it is. So there are some tactical things you can do with that separation between the two people. But you have to be careful because there are some pitfalls to working with an agent too. They cost money. You're going to have to pay a fat 3% commission on the total sales price. And they have their own interests. They really have a 
biased towards making any sale go through because they're going to get a commission on any sale. So they would like you to spend as much money as possible repairing and renovating the place. And it doesn't always pay off at the end. Right. They're going to want you to fix up your kitchen and paint all the walls because that makes their life easier when they go to sell the apartment or the house. They don't really care what price you pay for it and how it affects your budget. So you might have your own walkaway price saying, I can't spend a penny more than this. But they might keep nudging and nudging you above that in order to close the deal. So what's the best way to work with an agent? Well, Sam says the most important thing is to have clear and open communication. He says it drives him crazy when clients mislead him. Sometimes my client will tell me, well, my bottom line is X. So I'm thinking, okay, great. I'm going to do everything in my power to get them X. So, you know, I go into the negotiation. I set the other agent up with the proper information. You know, I'm playing lawyer. I'm playing therapist. And I'm getting us to that point. And then I'll come back with the, with the right number to my buyer. And they'll say, well, you know what? I looked at this other property and this and that. And you know what? I realized I want to spend Y, which is less than his original idea. And then I'm sitting there. I look dumb because I've basically rep- misrepresented what my buyer wants. And, you know, oftentimes the, the deal's dead at that point. And I, you know, I kind of look like an idiot. And then also my relationship is ruptured with that person because then I don't know what it is that they're going to say to me next. So you need to be honest with your agent if this relationship is going to work. You need a good rapport with any kind of agent. So I used a book agent. I wrote a book and I used a book agent to shop it around to different publishers. And uh, the first agent I had... uh, this guy was a big agency, and he, he was wearing a Bluetooth headset, and he was just very busy, very sharky. I just his, his whole vibe just didn't really gel with me, and I decided I wasn't comfortable. I couldn't be myself with him. He didn't really get me and what I really wanted, so I interviewed another agent. And this agent, she took me for tea at a quiet, cozy little place. She she looked me in the eye and talked to me calmly, and I, you know I could tell when it came time to negotiate, you know she was going to be an, an assassin. I could tell. She she was going to be fine. But when she talked to me, she really listened to what I wanted. And I felt like we were on the same wavelength. I remember the earlier episode of this podcast, I talked with Raj Cohen over at Sullivan Cromwell, and he was saying how important it is as a lawyer, he in a sense is acting as an agent for companies that he represents, for the company to completely trust him. And, you know, if you don't trust your agent, fire him. Yeah. Sam says there are plenty of agent fish in the sea. When you start dealing with these people, you should test them. You should push them. They're going to work for for you. You're going to pay them. Uh, they're going to get paid either way. So you, you make make them work. And, and if you don't feel like you're getting the service you deserve, which, by the way, you deserve big time service. It's a big deal no matter what. Uh, if you're not getting that, move on. There are tons of agents. If they're not giving you the time of day, they, you know, they don't deserve it from you. And you should, you know, your time's important. So you need to get what's yours and, and move on. It's fine. So we were curious how our real estate agent, Melissa Chen, worked with her real estate agent. Did she pay her the full commission? Good question. I think I gave her half. <laughs> Goes to show everything is negotiable, even your agent's commission. You can negotiate with your negotiator. That's it for Episode 8. In Episode 9, we'll talk about how to negotiate with children. You can send us feedback and questions at our email address, podcasts, that's with an S, at slate.com. You'll find this and every past episode of the Negotiation Academy at slate.com slash negotiation. Our executive producer is Andy Bowers. Our producer is Mark Phillips. I'm Jill Barche. And I'm Seth Stevenson. Happy haggling. We'll talk to you next episode. 